Welcome to the Forager Podcast, where I talk with cottage food entrepreneurs about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I'm talking with Rick and Connie Martin. They live in Charleston, West Virginia, and run a cottage food business called We Be Frying Snacks. And they have a really unique product. They sell cinnamon twists and a wheat-based version of pork rinds. So there's no pork or meat in their products, and that's why they can use West Virginia's great cottage food law. They started their business back at the beginning of 2020, and literally the first event they sold at was just a week or two before the pandemic shut everything down. So their business went a completely different direction than they had expected, but they found success with wholesale opportunities, and now their products are found in 15 different stores. In this episode, you get to hear what it was like to introduce a totally unique product into a market, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. And with that, let's jump right into this episode. Welcome to the show, Rick and Connie. Nice to have you here. Glad to be here. Hi, it's great to be here. All right, so can you go back to the beginning of when you got started? I know it was just over a couple of years ago. How did this whole business get started? Well, actually, we were out of town at an event, and we seen these snacks, and we Rick doesn't like pork brands. And these were advertisements, you know, being kind of like a pork rind or whatever. And we tried them and we just loved them. And we got to know the people and chatted around with them. And they started showing us what, how they did it and how to do it and gave us their recipes and all that. And we kind of took it from there and just started them for ourselves. So we didn't spend so much money getting them from them. <laughs> we had brought them on and the list of our family tribe. And they were just like, my goodness, these were great. Where did you get these? Where did you get these? And so I thought, well, you know, that's something we could do on the side and make a little extra money. Those people were really nice and showing us their way of, of doing it, making them. And like Connie said, we we trained with them for a couple of different times and brought them home. And here we are. So I know this is a really unique product that you have. Can you just describe what these snacks are? Well, they are sort of like a pork brine. They're like a pork brine in texture, but they're made from wheat. There's no pork. There's no meat in them at all, but they have the texture and kind of really the taste kind of a pork brine. That in their shape, they look like a little piece of bacon. That's what they look like. Well, what makes your product really fascinating is that it is meat-free, and that's a huge trend right now. Yeah. Well, you know what? That sometimes will even stop people that like meat. I'll be like, there's no pig in it. And they're like, what? And they'll come back and then they'll, you know, we'll give them a sample. And they're like, man, that is good. They try it. It's like, wow. Yeah, that's, that is, that is the hot thing right now. It's so interesting because, I mean, obviously there's tons of snacks out there. A lot of them are very good. Do you think it was really just the flavor was so amazing or was it just the novelty of it as well? I believe it's both. They do have a great taste. If we cook on site, the aroma puts people in a trance, so to speak. It'll bring you in. But the novelty of it, I think, has a little bit to do with it as well. But all it takes is people to try them, you know, they taste them and they, they love them. All right. So you got super addicting product on your hands. But I know you're trained. 
did that just cut out all of the testing process? Did it take anything to actually get this? Oh, oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was trial and error. When we first started, brought them home and made them. We weren't sure if we were cooking them too long or cooking them long enough because, you know, again, we were out of state. By the time we come back home, we were like, well, did they say this? We didn't actually write it down or, or actually nothing video, but um, yeah, trial and error. And some of the first bacon ones we made were so salty you could eat them. So, yeah, it, 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 was, it was trial and error from there. All right. So, I mean, when did you actually go out of state to this fair? And then how long was that before you started the business? That was probably about 2019, 18, 19, whenever we did that. And like I said, then, like you said, we come home to start making them ourselves. And then I seen an article in the paper in, um, June of, ninth, of, of 2019, yeah, about cottage food laws and how that West Virginia was redoing theirs. And, and I thought, hey, that's a thought, you know. So I called the Department of Agriculture and went up and talked to them to see if this product would even qualify as cottage foods. And uh, it did. So then we opened the, we actually opened the business in January 2020. I noticed it was right before the pandemic. <laughs> Right yeah. before, yes. Yeah, because that's what we were planning on doing was going to like farmers markets and, you know, vendor events and things like that. And boom, we went to one, one event and everything shut down. So how did that first event go? Great. Great. <laughs> Great. Great. Yeah, it, it was, we met a lot of vendors, people are, you know, where can we get these, you know, did we carry these in our place and stuff? You know, it was just, it was crazy and everybody just loved them. We sold a lot. Oh yeah. The Department of Agriculture actually invited us to this event because everything with this cottage food goes through the Department of Agriculture and we took them the raw product, the finished product, and they done some checking and they were impressed. And so we were floored that they invited us to go. And that was the very first event we done well. That's definitely the first time I've heard of an ag department inviting someone to come out to an event. But if it did so well, did you like, were you unprepared? Did you just sell out immediately? But actually we overcooked because the way they explained it to us was before the pandemic. And as you know, all the hysteria with the pandemic leading up to it, and as we were saying, is right at the time that it hit, there weren't as many people coming out in public as before. So we kind of overcooked. But had it been a regular, we would have sold out. Yes, we had to wear masks and everything. So, yeah, it was just starting. <laughs> so after that, I mean, obviously the pandemic hit. Imagine that shut down certain plans of yours. I mean, what was that like going through that? Oh, yeah. We just we just basically shut down after that, you know, because we didn't know what in the world we were going to do. And a friend of ours owned the pizza shop. And uh, he said, well, if you want to put some in here, he and he remained open through the pandemic. He remained open. So he said, if you want to put some in here, you know, we can see it, what they'll do. And that started our wholesale adventure. <laughs> exactly. And I took some to a friend of mine. And he knew of a gentleman that lived in his area that had three little gas stations. And he said, I'll take some of these to him and see what he says about putting them in his stores. And he called me back a couple of days later and said, here's this gentleman's name and number. 
as it turns out, I had done some floor work for this gentleman. And he said, well, sure, you're more than welcome to put him in here. And then there was three more places and it snowballed from there. You said you did floor work for him. And I actually meant to ask, like, what were you doing before this? I don't know if this is a full-time thing for you now or I assume you were working before you started this venture. Yeah, I still have. I have a floor business. I strip and wax vinyl composite and a custodial business that I do evenings and weekends and, and such. And I've been in business for myself since 2007. But we started this business after Connie retired, and uh, we kind of got this a hobby that pays. Do you think just having been an entrepreneur for a while, that helped you in starting the business? No, I got to give the credit to Connie. She has absolutely done all the legwork. I'm behind the scenes. I don't do anything as far as the internet or working on computers. I'm the one cooking and toting oil and lifting and tugging and all the physical stuff. And she takes care of all the mental stuff. So, you know, I give her the credit for getting everything going. Her drive and ambition with these is why we where we're at. So I got to give her props. She's done it all. Yeah, but a lot of other guys kids and them, that's you, that's for sure. Yeah. Whenever we get do go to events, he's the one that gets he has the loud voice. <laughs> I'm the barker, so to speak. Well, it seems like you guys work really well together as a team. Yeah, we do, we do, we do. That's okay. part of our dynamic. We we pick and play at each other, and that's how we get along. So, Connie, was it difficult to get the business off the ground? Not the way we first started out. Like I said, we just planned on, you know, going to fairs and like that. But getting into the wholesale and then learning all the marketing and trying to get on social media because, you know, I thought, well, gosh, I can't just let this drop. Everybody loves these things. I didn't want to just stop because we couldn't go anywhere to sell them. So that's when we started doing the wholesale when I had to get into marketing and all that stuff. And I learned all that just online, just sitting at home during the pandemic, really, and listening to you and Danae Davis, listening to a lot of her podcasts and stuff. And uh, that's how I learned. I mean, that's how I learned to do it all. And yeah, it it was a learning experience. (laughs) There's a lot to it. (laughs) So you said that it was a friend of yours that, you know, was your first wholesale location. So that probably helped, right? I mean, what was the learning curve for trying to get into stores? Well, we really haven't had any problem at all getting into stores. I mean, you know, whenever I go and talk to somebody, and here's something else I did too, and when I started putting them in stores, the thing was, if they try them, they like them. So I thought, I've got to get it in their mouth. So I made individual samples, individually wrapped and sealed little samples and left at each one of these stores, put it in baskets and so people could try them. And that really helped with the sales and everything. Have you continued to do the samples or is that just to get a store off the ground? I will usually provide it to them for the first couple of orders. I'll give them free samples. And then now I don't have time to sit and do that. You know, I'd love to be able to still do that because that, that really, really helps with sales. And I'm lucky because my stuff isn't real perishable. Our chips can keep for four to six weeks usually. So I know you plan on doing the events and then you only did one and that was super successful and that helped you verify this product and know that it really would be successful. Um, And then it was a friend who just, you know, you knew that got you into your first wholesale account. So 
if the pandemic had been a little bit earlier, if you'd started your business a little bit later, and you hadn't gotten into that first event. Do you think that you would have ever gotten this business off the ground or it just would have been a lot later? Yeah, I believe we would have went somewhere with it because we had gone to flea markets and, and such before on a certain weekend here, there, and actually we would sell out. So well, the first two times we went to the flea market, we sold out within four hours. So we knew it was going to go somewhere, but with the pandemic, we just wasn't sure. It, with the response we had, Connie would have kept on doing what she was doing. It would have been a little later, but yeah, I do believe we've gone somewhere. He's actually telling on us here, David. <laughs> Before we actually were licensed, we sat up at a couple of flea markets. The owners let us do it. And we sat up there and, you know, sold them for a couple few weekends. Yeah, that's not too uncommon in a more rural area. I don't know how rural you guys are, but. Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, we are in the capital of West Virginia, but that's different. <laughs> but the flea market was rural. <laughs> so uh, how many flavors did you decide to start out with? I, I know you have different flavors. How many did you start with? We actually started out with six. We had a ranch flavor and a salt and vinegar flavor, which not that many people cared for. So we ended up, and it was getting too hard to keep up with making that many. So we just dropped those two. Now we make three flavors, barbecue, hot and spicy, and a smoky bacon. And then we also make a cinnamon, we call them cinnalocos. It's a cinnamon twist, like kind of like what Taco Bell sells. So you dropped down to four flavors. Have you tried other flavors to see if they would do well? Yeah, we've tried we've tried a lot of different stuff. We've tried making chocolate and uh, uh what else? Cheese ovens, yeah. Yeah, we tried making the cheese. They sold well, but just too much of a hassle to to, to keep it all up. Yeah. <laughs> too many flavors to try to keep it all made up and ready to go. So what is the process for making these generally? Well, what we do is is I'll have the, the temperature of the oil right at 380. And as we drop the blanks, we call them, we drop those into the oil and they'll pop up and I'll shove them all under to make sure they all, they're all expanded to size. And then we have a colander that sits beside and I'll take it from there and scoop them over and let them drain for a second. And then she puts them into a tote that we have, puts them in and seasons them and shakes them. And then we bag them, tag them, and that's the process. And the blanks that you're talking about, is this just a dough that you make and roll out or what is that? Uh, we actually purchase those. We don't actually make those. But a lot of people think we make them, as I guess you thought, you thought too. I'd love to be able to, maybe eventually, because that's what happened to us this year on the supply chain thing. We couldn't get them. I did see that. So, you, yeah, you went totally out of stock because you couldn't buy the blanks or whatever you Weedos, call them. what we call weedos. That's what we call the savory flavors. Those are weedos. And then the sweet is the Cenolocos. Was it, I mean, just because of supply chain issues or you didn't stock properly? I mean, what, what did you learn through that process? Well, I mean, really, I was stocked up pretty good. Thank goodness. <laughs> you know, no, it was just out of the blue. It just came up. We had enough to do us for what, another month? Another month, month and a half. And thought for sure they'd be back by then and they still weren't. So we were... A good another month, month and a half without, just couldn't get them. And then we were trying different flavors on the swirls, on the Cinelocos. And they were good, but they just didn't seem, we didn't get a chance to get them out there to the public. We didn't promote them. We didn't promote them. 
Now, some places sold them well, and other ones just didn't, they didn't even move. So once the stock come back and we could get them, well, it took right back off like never even happened. Yeah. Now, we could still make the cinnamon. You know, we could still get those, the widows that we couldn't get. So what would you say is your best-selling product? Cinnamon is the best-selling by far. That wasn't even what you initially had tried, right? Or was that also something you tried out of state? Yeah, yeah, we got this idea from them too, but uh, we debated on whether to even start making those. We were making the savory flavors, and they sell well too. And we probably sell more of those because we have three flavors in those. But the Cinelocos are the ones that usually sell out. <laughs> yeah, when we if we come home from an event, should we go? Cinnamon and barbecue are the two that we have none or very little of. So it sounds like the product hasn't really been changed over the last two years. Is that correct? No, really, it hasn't. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, the only thing is, you know, we learned, you know, not to make them quite as hot on the hot and spicy or not as salty on the bacon. But other than that, no, pretty much. Yeah, because if you make them kind of to your own personal taste, and that varies between all people. And so you got to go kind of find a medium. If it tastes good to you, you might want to, we're salt, we love salt. So if it tastes good to us, that means we need to go a little bit less for the public. <laughs> so that going with the bacon, that's what we cut back and they started taking off. And so once we found something, when they started selling, we wrote down how we made them. And now we have a recipe, I guess you'd say. And now it's consistent. And we've had several people from different locations say, man, you're consistent with your product. It tastes the same each bag that we get. So you're, you're whatever you're doing, keep it up. So I know that you obviously started at an event, then <laughs> the pandemic happened. You went to wholesale. When did you get back to an event? Well, when was it? The state fair was all oh, the state fair. Oh my gosh, yes. I tried to put that out of my mind. Yeah, it was it was it we had fun, don't get me wrong, it was grueling, but it was fun. That's really interesting. I mean, like I feel like people do a lot of events before they're ready to tackle a state fair and the quantity that re is required to handle that. What was that process like? Most people have a little more sense than we do. <laughs> We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. No. The, like I said, the Department of Ag here is wonderful. And it might be because we live close, but I mean, they've just been awesome with us. They've helped us so much. They've been so inspiring and just contacts you know, they've the, given us. Yeah, they're the one. In fact, we set up in their store at the West Virginia State Fair. But uh, yeah, we went up there. Oh, this is a story. It's wow. two and a half hour drive from our house to where the fair was. And we had to take some, the product up early. So we took what, 50 bags, 50 large bags and 50 small bags of each flavor thinking, well, that'll do for a few days and we can cook some more and take some more. Well, that didn't happen. We were sold out the first day and had to keep coming back home, oh, <laughs> driving wow. two and a half hours making the product and bagging it and all that and going back up there to have them for the next day, you know, and like two and three hours sleeps all we were getting is that. <laughs> we did that for 11 days. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> it, I mean, it was awesome, but we're getting too old for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're doing it again this year. <laughs> wow. So um, what are you going to change this time? Like, How much are you going to make this time? Well, this time we have a hotel. <laughs> we're staying up there closer to the fair. We're about an hour away. And I've already got it uh, set up with the hotel that we can cook. We'll be able to fix these on their lot. Well, considering the shelf life of your product, why wouldn't you just make a ton, you know, bring 1,200 of each flavor? Well, time is one reason. Space is another. They're they're not real big, but when you get, you know, say 20 bags of this and you got them in boxes, it starts taking up a lot of space. And two, the heat and humidity, I'm not sure how well they would do because when we take them, they have a drop-off point. The Department of Agriculture does that you can take your product and they'll take it up two weeks beforehand. So we're not sure. It's just a, a question of freshness. And so we decided to wait and I guess you'd say sacrifice a little bit of our time and effort to make sure that they're fresh. So have you ever um, made these live at an event? Only place that we've done that was at that flea market with cottage foods. I don't think we're really supposed to do that. No. Now we've had people say they didn't care and we could do it, but we haven't. We, we have too much of a good thing going to do something we shouldn't do. So we try to stay within the parameter of the guidelines. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Obviously the cottage food restrictions, you know, force you to make this stuff offsite. But I mean, I definitely could see that you going there, like that seems like a natural next step for your business. Do you agree? We've talked about it. We've yeah, talked about I, it. I don't know if we've... <laughs> We're getting old. I'm 63 and Rick is 56. (laughs) And uh, I can't take that heat that long. I can work out in the heat for a little while, but to stand over hot oil all day, it's... Quite a bit of my work is in uh, on weekends when places are closed. Of course, when I'm doing floors and that kind of knocks a few things out right there. Unless we would go and hire, you know, hire some people. Haven't done that yet. (laughs) Well, you said that the smell is like addicting, right? So just frying them up. I mean, I'm sure as well as you do at events, you do like phenomenally better if you're frying them on site. Exactly. We had a couple, this is no lie. We had a couple was walking across. We live on a boulevard on the riverfront. It was four lanes at the time. They walked across the street, knocked on the door. We had the garage door open so high and said, excuse me, what are you guys cooking? So we smelled that and followed it over here. <laughs> so there you go. So um, you did the fair, crazy event. What What are some of the other events that you've done? Oh, we, oh, we did the um, Stink Fest. And it was all about ramps. Everybody, like they had ramp pepperoni rolls and ramp this and that. Ramp ice cream. Even. Yes, ramp ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So... We decided we were going to come up with, try to come up with the ramp flavor. My granddaughter has a lot of ramps on a, on her property. So I got the ramps from her and we made what was a ramp twist. We put on what we do, the, the sentimental one. And oh my goodness, they were the biggest hit. <laughs> the event started at 11 at 1230. 
we were out and we took 25 large bags with us. And at events, how much sampling are you doing? Is that an important piece of getting them to sell? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It may sound cliche, but they sell themselves. A lot of people, if they try them, more than likely they buy them. And they're visually attractive, too. I mean, when you look at them, you know, everybody thinks, oh, bacon. <laughs> you know, these are good. Those look, yeah. look good. I, keep, I purposely have them in a clear bag so that you can see the product, and I think that helps a lot. I did see that, I mean, you know, most of your packaging is just the product itself coming through the bag. And, you know, your label, I was going to ask if you ever considered, you know, like hiring that to be professionally done. In fact, I I just went through that. (laughs) That's kind of what I worked on whenever I didn't have the weed ups, when we didn't have anything then. Yeah, in fact, I've got a new label up. Going to front and back, I actually have my nutritional five panels now. So I just haven't, I've got to get them improved by the Department of Ag before I switch. Well, I was just thinking, you know, usually when people go wholesale, that's when they'll invest in getting a professional label. But it probably wasn't as important for you because like most of what you see is the product and that that attracts people by itself. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about pricing yet. I mean, so what are you pricing these at and how has it changed? We have a three and a half ounce bag that we retail for three ninety nine, And then we have a larger five and a half ounce bag that we sell for five ninety nine. And I mean, has that pricing been the same for a while? No. When we very first started, we were doing them for... All we had was the big bags, and we done them for five dollars, four ninety nine, and then we ended up raising it to you know up a dollar, and that was really before we started putting them in stores. But I think they'd only be in the stores like maybe a month or two whenever we raised it. <laughs> I mean, it's a very unique product, and I don't think I've ever seen non pork <laughs> pork rind before. I mean, how did you come up with the pricing? Basically, we kind of took what they were doing because they had a, they had a deal where they sold them $5 a bag or two for eight. And so we kind of thought, well, Hey, you know, we kind of based it off that and, you know, just went from there. Do you do that kind of bulk discount at events? Sure. Yeah. We'll do um, five nine nine each or what did we do? Two for three for 15. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about, equipment like you obviously are frying these were you just using a little home countertop fryer when you started out no we actually have a propane burner and then we have a pot like a turkey fryer pot the the first one was a propane burner and a 26 quart turkey fryer we basically just mimicked what the people we learned from and it was one cup at a time you know, when we first started, we were slow. I mean, really slow. And over time, we got to be where we could cook it in a minute and seven seconds. We would have one cooked and seasoned. Not bagged, but just cooked and seasoned and put aside to be bagged. So then we got a bigger fryer. We tried an electric deep fryer, but where the elements are in the bottom of the oil, some of the product would get stuck because these go under. And then they pop back up and some of it would get stuck underneath the heating elements. And that's just going to make your oil nasty. So we couldn't use that. And we got a bigger pan 
it's actually a maple syrup evaporator and started cooking in it. And now we're able to cook four cups at one time. So it's made cooking a lot quicker. So a cup of the blanks, what does that actually turn into? Does that a whole bag or? Yes, that's one large bag. And what kind of oil are you using? I imagine that's got to be your the highest cost ingredient you have. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. It's a clear frying oil. So, yeah, when we first started for four and a half gallons, it was 17 something. And now it's up to $43, $44. And it went up a lot <laughs> and hard to find. Of course, we just get it at Sam's. Have you ever looked at a distributor? Yeah, and we've had people get them for us from their distributor, but we didn't like the oil as well. Our friend at the, with our very first wholesale account, the the restaurant, our friend, he got some for us, and we just didn't care for it as well as this. So how many stores are you in now, or did you eventually get into? We're currently in 15 stores. 15, That's that's quite a lot, and how often are you restocking? Every week to two weeks. So is it overwhelming or is it, you know, kind of imaginable? <laughs> yeah, it's getting there. We're do, we're averaging between making and delivering between 250, 300 bags a week. <laughs> so, yeah. Plus life on top of that. <laughs> but if, you know, and I'm making my own labels. I'm, you know, putting them on the bags myself. What else are we doing? Mixing up. Mixing the cinnamon and, and stuff, that, yeah. Cooking and bagging and delivering. Out and delivering. So, yeah, we try to do Mondays kind of office kind of work. Tuesday and Wednesday, we try to cook and bag. And then we have Thursday if we need it sometimes and deliver on Friday and sometimes Saturday. So, yeah, we're pretty busy. <laughs> that way, everywhere we have them, they're good for the weekend. Because we have them in some places. One of them's in a in a mall. They have a lot of traffic on the weekends. We have been several places like that. And one in one farmer's market, indoor. And, you know, we just got to make sure that the weekend people are stocked up for them. So have you thought about just like limiting the amount of wholesale locations to keep you sane? Or do you plan on continuing to grow as you can? I think <laughs> Well, I think we're going to try and, and grow. I want to stay cottage food as long as I can. West Virginia doesn't have a cap on the incomes. I mean, we have we have great cottage food laws, as I know you know. <laughs> if it, I mean, of course, if it needs to go commercial, you know, that's probably what we'll do. So, yeah, we really believe in the product, and I think it can really possibly go pretty big. <laughs> so have you actually been looking into that yet, or is it just something that you're thinking about? No, yeah, we, we've looked into, in fact, we have a meeting with the Western East Small Business Association about, they have, you know, special loans, financing and all that. We're supposed to meet with them to talk about, you know, maybe going kind of commercial, getting some, enough money to be able to do that. Because it costs us nothing to get started as cottage foods, really. Yeah. And thank goodness, because we've never been able to do it the other way. Do you have any concept for what it would take, I mean, financially for you to step up to the next level from the cottage food realm? You know, it really wouldn't take that much other than just have to have like a commercial, you know, kitchen because all we need is a, a big deep fryer and, you know, something to bag them in. I mean, we don't need ovens and all that kind of stuff. 
So yeah, we've checked into uh, you know the cost of baggers, and I'd say we're probably looking at thirty, forty thousand. I'd say something like that. Just a rough guess. Yeah, well, that's that's not chump change. So <laughs> that's, no, uh, no, it no. is. But the machinery's what it is. You know, it just see we we need a bagging machine, some way to bag them. As I we had discussed earlier, I'm cooking four at one time rather than one. But we still run into the bottleneck at the bagging. It's still being bagged one at a time. I'll scoop them, and she fluffs the bag, gets it right, and seals them. And so that's where we're running into the bottleneck is the bagging. So where do you currently get your bags? I order them from my international plastics. I feel like you're the first guest I've had that has been trying to figure out if they need a bagging machine. What, What have you learned there? Yeah, I mean, it, it does it all. Basically, you dump a product in and it, you know, sorts it, it weighs it. It, it weighs it. Once it hits a certain weight, drops to the bag, seals, and it spits it out. All right. So this is a serious machine. So, yeah, I mean, I imagine tens of thousands of dollars. Well, the ones we've seen been around 10, haven't they? Between 7500 and 10. Uh-huh. I noticed that you're members of the West Virginia Growing Program. What does that mean? It's a program that West Virginia has set up. They will help promote your products and everything. It has to be made. Your product has to be made in West Virginia. And at least 49% of the product has to come from West Virginia or something. It has to be made. They just uh, help West Virginia businesses, food businesses to get going. They advertise for you and uh, that's West Virginia Grown Building is what we're at in the state fair. That's all Department of Ag is all connected with that. So I know you also have gotten some coaching to help you grow this business. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I've dealt with the West Virginia Small Business Association with their coaches. It's been a big help. And then because of the Small Business Association, I got hooked up with Sari Kimball, who is an awesome coach and she's I've done a lot with her she's helped me so much she's been real encouraging and uh, she's just awesome with dealing with your head (laughs) and then she has a lot of you know the templates and everything I got my cogs done with her template and everything then she has the calls I go on yeah she's she's great it's helped me immensely yeah, and of course, Sari was on the show not too long ago. Um, where do you think your business would be today if you hadn't sought out coaches? <laughs> it sure wouldn't be where it is now, that's for sure. Like whenever the um, the one thing, whenever I couldn't get the widows anymore, the supply chain, oh, they were all just so supportive and just, you know, helped me keep my cool through all that. <laughs> and of course, my website... I used um, your resources to do my website with Square. I do remember you saying that. So, you know, I don't think many people have talked about Square Online on the podcast. Can you just share what your experience with it has been? It was really simple to set up. I mean, I just went with your instructions and set it all up. And I am not very good on a computer, I'll tell you. (laughs) But I was able to do that. And it's just, it's been great. I've never had a glitch with it. Now they do, you know, charge the the fee, but I think they all do. But it's worth it because I feel like Square 
is known, but I've also had a PayPal to mine too recently. I had a girl do that for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they actually only charge a credit card fee. You can't get around that. But I think if you integrate PayPal, that's when you get the extra monthly fee on top of that. Yeah. And I know that you also offer shipping, like order. You have orders online and shipping. Has that gotten used very much? Yeah, quite a bit. Yes. And in fact, I'm starting now to ship to some of my retail places because gas is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And I use a program that's called Pirate Ship. So that way I can have it all boxed up and print off my label and have it on the box and ready to go. I just take it to the UPS and drop it off. And it's cheaper, a lot cheaper than doing it on the, like the UPS or the USPS website. Is there a cost to that service? No, no, for sure isn't. So I guess shipping works out really well for you because you're the benefactor of a extremely light product. Yeah, it's light, but it's bulky. Bulky, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do most of our, you know, I do all my own deliveries, except for the ones that I do ship. And I have a um, Kia Soul with my car, and I would have it filled to the max. So we ended up buying a, a used van. We got a real good deal on it. Uh, it's a Ford Transit, one of the smaller vans, and it's a bright red. I love it. And then I've, I've got my logo, the round We Be Frying sticker, big yellow sticker on the sides of it, and it draws a lot of attention. But we had to get that just to, you know, because like they don't weigh much, but they're very bulky to transport. But so far, the business is paying for the van, the insurance and everything like that. So that's that's been a big help having that. And as far as technology goes, I know you also said that social media has been a learning curve. And I know you haven't been super active on social media. I mean, has that been a, a challenge? Yeah, just. Cause like I said, I'm not I'm not very good <laughs> at any of it. Facebook's the only one I'm really familiar with at all. Instagram, I've got an account, but I don't even know how to do anything on it. I did have a lady that was helping me. She was doing my Facebook post there for a while. You can probably tell a difference between hers and mine. <laughs> but uh, then whenever that happened with the the widows, I just really you know just let drop, and I haven't started it back up which i need to <laughs> i keep saying i'm going to well you know i mean for your business you got the wholesale accounts you got tons of word of mouth i mean honestly you might not really need social media in this case i mean do you feel like you need it for some reason well i guess no i just thought you had to have it <laughs> And just to get it out there and to get it known. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people see it and they want to check it out and all that. And I wanted to ask about your business name and your product names. How did you come up with those? Oh, golly. Just me and Rick just sitting around. And <laughs> just, I, I, you know, we really, there's a really certain way. We just talked and hashed back and forth and we came up with that. Now, the Cinelocos, they were good. And I said something about they're crazy good. Then Connie was like, well, how about Cineloco? Because we have a dog, and his name's Loco, and he's crazy. He lives up to his name. Boston Terrier. Boston he's Terrier. Right so. And so we started calling them Cinelocos. And the Weedos that just kind of just come out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have no idea. And the Weeby Frying. Oh, wow. Well, because we do have the savory and the sweet, 
couldn't decide what to do. And then yeah. I don't know. We just said that just came up one day. And we said, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so what would you say like really drives you with this business? Like, why are you passionate about it? Why do you love it so much? Well, I think because it's something we're doing <laughs> and we're doing it together. I've worked in sales pretty much my whole life. And I've retired and I miss seeing the people and getting the reaction of when people try these. It's just, it's just amazing. It just makes me feel good that I can do that because I don't cook. I'm not a cook. So, you know, for me to have some kind of food that somebody likes, it's like, all right. <laughs> like she said, we're doing it together. You know, something we work together for the, for the longest time in my business. When she was coming home, I was going to work and we didn't see each other, but on the day she had off, so to speak, but a couple hours here or there, that's probably why we're still together. But no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But now we're, you know, we do this together all the time and it's just, it's, I don't know, like she said, getting out to see the people and being able to spend time together and, and making money at the same time. It's really turned in kind of a challenge to just see if we can do it, how far this can go, because we really believe in the, you know, in our product. So where would you like this business to go in the future? I, right now, I'm thinking I just want to saturate West Virginia. I'd love to be in, in the state parks. I think they do well if I could get them in like the state parks at the little gift shops. I mean, there's just so many places that I know they, they fit, they can go and they work. It's just us having the product to get it out there. If we didn't have to make the product and we could just go out and sell it and push it, oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Yeah, it'd, right. Be, it'd be crazy. I've only had one place turn me down to sell them. And all he did was put me off till spring. He said to come back in the spring. So you, you literally had a 100% success rate for everyone you've reached out to for wholesale. Yeah. Pretty okay. much. Yeah. 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 And a lot of them reached out to me. And I'm in a lot of places. We're in how many convenience stores? One, two, three convenience stores. And other than that, they're like delis or indoor farmer's market-like things, artisan shops. Artisan shops, yeah. So you want to focus on you know, spreading it out to other locations. Did you ever have a thought of having your own store? And I, I know that it pairs well with different things like ice cream or whatever like did you think of creating a brand around it and a storefront location well we talked about it but i mean nothing you know i don't know if you're drawing enough attention for just this product yeah <laughs> i think we need more just a manufacturing place and maybe someplace where somebody could stop and pick them up is more what we're looking at for right now so you're looking at expanding you know to locations across the state like, where are you? Are you like at max capacity with your home kitchen right now? Like how long is it going to take before you need to move to a bigger location? Yeah, we're pretty much there now. We're pretty much there now, like she said, yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It's consuming. <laughs> it's, it's starting to be consuming. And I don't know how much you worked around grease and oil, but it's messy. <laughs> it's really to the point where we can't take on a whole lot more wholesale right now. <laughs> But we're too big just to let lay down. Like I said, if we had the product and we could just get out and find where to put it, oh, it, this could really get big, I think. The more people sample it, the more we sell. So are you thinking, you know, months or this year or next year? Like, are you looking into manufacturing facilities? 
that's where we're we're going to see that's just it we don't even know where to look we don't you know for any of this stuff we've just been going online and looking up fryers baggers and and like that to see you know to try and get a price of how much just how much that would be to do that and then start looking for some kind of a building that way we know you know know what we need to have before we go with presentation to get a loan we've actually gone that far we looked at a couple buildings oh i don't know it was almost last year we we had thought about this last year looking for a building and there was just nothing on the market within the budget that we had because what we're trying to do is let this business sustain itself. It wasn't something we could do at the time. And we didn't want to go really go into getting a loan. So now that things have changed, it's something that may be able to uh, come about. So you said that, man, if you didn't have to make the product, you could just go gangbusters with it and expand. So is a co-packer something you'd eventually like to use? I'd love it. <laughs> But I don't know. I think ours is going to be hard to do. You don't, there's not too many co-packers that want to do this, I don't think. I've talked to two local ones, and they just do sauces and powders and like that. They don't do any deep frying. I actually think that this product would probably be a good fit for a co-packer. I just don't think you have the volume yet to get there. But if you go to a manufacturing facility, if you expand you have some employees and you're producing a lot, you know, I could see that being a next step. And I'm sure there's a co-packer out there that does, you know, you're just frying it and adding seasonings. Right. So you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where this will go and maybe if it gets so big and you just don't want to do it anymore, you know, at the very least you could sell the business. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I told him. I said, if we at least get it, you know, I had one lady come up to me at the flea market and uh, she's a council lady or something. And she gave me her card. She said, if you ever need an investor, you call me. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. <laughs> Everybody keeps telling us we're going to Shark Tank, but I can't see that going that far. <laughs> Well, anyway, thank you guys so much for coming on the show and sharing a bit about your experience. If people want to learn more about you, how can they find you or how can they reach out? We're on Facebook at We Be Frying Snacks. Uh, I have a website, uh, WeBeFryingSnacks.com. And it's we with the letter B and then frying is F-R-Y-I-N, snacks. Yeah, well, I'll put links to those down in the show notes. But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing with us today. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. That wraps up another episode of the Forager Podcast. Connie mentioned in the episode that she followed my tutorial to create a free website with Square Online. I wanted to make sure you know that is currently a free tutorial, and I've put a link to it in the show notes so you can check it out. For more information about this episode, go to forger.com slash podcast slash 68. And I have to ask, are you enjoying this podcast? And if so, have you left me a review yet? If not, please head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave me a review. A review is truly the best way to support this show, and it will help others find it as well. And finally, if you're thinking about selling your own homemade food, check out my free mini course where I walk you through the steps you need to take to get a cottage food business off the ground. To get the course, go to cottagefoodcourse.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.